This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by The Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear dire straits on the stereo. But where can you go for all that classic arcade fun? Why, just on the edge of Chicago in West Dundee. And that's not so far away. The Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Mike McGinnis. And I'm Carrington Vanston. And this is No Quarter, a podcast about arcade games. I've heard good things about that podcast. I've heard good things about one of their hosts. <laughs> it was me! <laughs> That's right, it sure wasn't me. <laughs> so how you doing, Mike? <laughs> I'm uh, I'm doing better. You know, I, I took uh, we took a week off for me to go lick my wounds and the, the beating that I took. Yeah, we finally got to publish our, our arcade draft episode, which was so fun. We actually recorded that quite a while ago. And it was sort of in the vault as a as a spare one, and so we actually got like a vacation week last week. Yeah, we have a few of those sort of. Well, we have ideas for a few of those to line up, but we have plans. We probably won't actually do anything uh, about that until we until we need them, and it's too late for us <laughs> right. just to pull them out. We'll have to scramble to record uh, replacement content or something. But yeah, because as we get into the the high numbers of shows, and we've yet to miss a week, it becomes like. So this big pressure to never miss a week. So the idea would be, hey, if we had a few sort of special episodes, we could just have them as emergency backups. So we had one, sort of spent it last week when we didn't really need to, and now we have no backups. <laughs> so here we go. Well, so in other words, we were, we're going to cheat, you know, to, to ma- maintain so. our continuity. Absolutely. Yep. Regardless of when we publish, I'm going to just backdate every episode. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that came out last Wednesday, totally. But it's been uh, a glorious two weeks. I haven't podcasted, and I've forgotten everything about it. I have other shows, so I have podcasted. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yep. I cheat on you a lot. I do. Aw. <laughs> I do other shows, but uh, I think the other shows uh, the other shows that I do are uh, monthly ones, so it's not like I, I'm always in front of the microphone thing. Because you're lazy. I publish I'm three lazy. other podcasts during this podcast. I'm a lazy American. <laughs> and I play hockey. <laughs> you guys play a lot of hockey up there. It's crazy. We like a lot of hockey, even video hockey. <laughs> Which is kind of funny because all of your hockey teams are down here in in uh, in uh, the U.S. of A. Well, all of our hockey players are down there on your stinking American teams. <laughs> he said we, with bitterness in his voice. <laughs> That's well because well for a long time the the uh, exchange rate for the the our dollar to yours was sort of outrageous, and they could make a lot more money down here than they did up there. I thought so. you were going to state the exchange rate on your hockey players to ours. <laughs> one Canadian hockey player is worth one point five American hockey players <laughs> at the current exchange rate. Um, so, so shall we get to feedback and news and stuff like that? Oh, that's right. We do that stuff. We do. There's some interesting things that have been posted around the, the internets. Tell me about them, Carrington. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Um, there's a neat video that I stumbled upon. I'm not really sure. I don't think it was actually with stumbled upon, but it was Reverend Rob presents the true causes of the video game crash of 1983 colon. It had nothing to do with E.T. There's actually two colons in the title. It's Reverend Rob presents colon, the true causes, blah, 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 colon, it had nothing, blah, blah, blah. I wouldn't think it would. That that caused the home computer and console, or the home console crash, not not the arcade crash. Yep, but this is, was just about crashes in general, including oh, the including the uh, 
the like what caused the arcade crash, what caused the home video game crash, all of oh, it. Okay. It's sort of an interesting video. It's very slideshow like. Um, and to be honest, it's mostly straw man arguments. <laughs> like, that's not what anyone says. That's not what anyone <laughs> says. But it was still interesting. So I want to have a link in, in the video because I actually did, or link in our show notes. Because I actually did enjoy watching it. So it was fun. And it's just about video games. And I like that topic. Sounds like clickbait <laughs> to me. Uh, almost certainly, yes. And it seems to be working because I'm going to give a link. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's a neat thread on Reddit right now about where slash how to find cabinets. Um, so it's over on the um, you know, slash r slash arcade uh, uh, subreddit, which well, we talk about because I only found out about that one recently. So eBay is the obvious answer. Well, it says, but they were saying like, where other than things like Craigslist and eBay can you look, or are there any tips for even for using those? And so I'll have a link to the thread because it's ongoing at the moment. But some of the good tips in there so far is one, you should join Clov because people that own these posts that they have them and which ones are for sale. So it's a way to get into a community of people that really understand the items and, and, and know how to sort of value them and know what's a functional one or what's a complete one. And so if you're looking for something like that, then that's a good source for it. Search for local arcade auctions. And a lot of times the same companies will run auctions over and over and over again. So you'll find out, well, who is your local arcade auction person? And a lot of times I'll have a calendar and you can sort of bookmark and say, oh, next July, or maybe every July they have an auction and you should go to it. They talked about how you should call around to local amusement service companies, the companies that fix these. Because a lot of times they'll have, you know, sort of junker cabs or things. You can call them and say, do you have a cabinet for 50 bucks? And it'll be just a cabinet and a monitor and nothing else. So if you're looking to build something or restore something, that can be a cheap way to begin. And for Craigslist, the, the tips so far were, intentionally look for the really overpriced items because you bookmark it and then contact the seller a month later because there's no way it's going to sell and maybe they'll be at the point where they'll take a lowball offer. <laughs> so I thought that was a neat tip. Um, you should join local or regional boards and like, like arcade boards to discuss these and like what it would be the modern BBSs because those are places that often people are reposting Craigslist ads so you can use that as a filter. And also if you're searching on Craigslist, don't just search in your city, search in all the nearby cities that you'd be willing to drive to, to go pick up one, because it's the kind of thing you might be willing to take a half day journey out to pick up a cabinet and bring it back. So I thought those were all good tips so far. Yeah. sounds like fun. Mm -hmm. So go buy some cabs is what I'm saying. I forgot to, to mention that, that I went to Comic-Con uh, last weekend. No, two weekends ago. Yes. Cause last week we had a fake show. That's right. So I went to Comic Con here in Denver, and they the guys that did the are doing the. I, I've talked about this a few times um, in the past. That we have a little. It's, it's a a street arcade setup. Um, Was that the oh heck yeah yeah? So what that is is not. It's not exactly what I expected. It's not a bad thing. It's actually pretty cool. But they've they've written three of their own games, uh, and they're social games, and. They as and you go to the locations in downtown Denver, and as you're playing them, your your gameplay and and sometimes shots of you go are are up on these huge billboards that are around downtown Denver, um, in in certain districts. And and the idea behind this, they had they had a, a panel at the Comic Con that I sat in. And like I said, this is it's a pretty cool idea. They had the programmer there and the guys that are behind doing this, answering questions, and it's it's about getting people out of their houses and and away from the Xbox and the headset, you know, and having a true social experience because the idea is that you can play these games on the street for free. And they kind of want, they, they hope that you will play with strangers and, and the games are set up so that you have to interact with other people. 
that's neat. I like I like how we've gone from people are like go outside and play, and then everyone comes inside and plays video games. So we're trying to tempt people back out, and the only way to tempt them was with video game. Hey, there's video games out here too. Come outside, play these video games, and then they try to sneakily get you to interact with other people. Well, they won't fool me. They can't make me interact with that's other people. Right? I refuse to interact. <laughs> nice try, folks. <laughs> So, but was it fun? Like, did you enjoy it? Were you on a billboard? I was not on a billboard. They oh. didn't have the games up and running in Comic-Con. These are, they're out like on, on various street corners around Denver. And it, oh, it, right. It happens at night because the, I guess they, these things use the, the Microsoft Xbox Connect to track your movement and, and, and relay that into the game. And I guess those things don't work well in, in daylight. It has to be at night. So, um, and Comic-Con in Denver, for whatever reason, closes at 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. every night. So uh, I, I have not – I didn't do it there, and I haven't had a chance to to go down since then and, and try it out. But I will. Neat. Yeah. Neat, I say. Oh, also neat, Rob O'Hara, fellow podcaster, he wrote in to tell us about the announcement of a tongue-based joystick. I'm not making this up. <laughs> so it's for quadriplegics, <laughs> and it's super awesome. So there's an article, uh, like sort of a short one about it in Wired – We'll have a link to that in the show notes because we've talked on a few episodes before about alternative control schemes and games you can play if you're missing a hand or you've just had had surgery or something or what games you play that don't require joysticks and, and what have you. So I'm really interested in the alternative control schemes that are available, especially for people that have limited mobility. So this is great. And uh, Rob even wrote that we need to put a bounty out for the first person to get this thing working with MAME. And I agree. Mm-hmm. But I think Rob should get it working with me. Calling out, Rob. <laughs> uh, a different Rob wrote in. This is Rob McMullen. He's also written a nice uh, segue in the past. Thank you. Very, for, pro- very professional. Ooh, I shouldn't have mentioned it. It's less professional smooth. than I'm drying attention to. <laughs> smooth as ice, man. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, you can play hockey on ice. You can. <laughs> Hoping you would do another vector month. I wrote some Python scripts to pull out data from the main info files to figure out uh, control panel combinations. Um, I had no idea that there were only 35 unique vector games, not including clones and ROM variations. That work also helped me change my plan on building my own uh, MAME cabinet. I was originally trying to do a pie-in-the-sky rotating monitor, but now I've decided on two cabs, a full-size stand-up with a horizontal monitor and a cabaret with a vertical monitor, but both use the same mod- both using the same modular control panel so that I can swap between cabs. Uh, first of all, Rob, thank you for writing. Second, you have way too much time on your hands to be writing Python scripts to pull information out of MAME stuff. Third, that's very awesome that you did it. Um, <laughs> yes. And I did not know that there were only 35 vector games, although that does make sense. I mean, we, as I recall, we were, when we did Vector, no vector, whatever you want to call it, uh, last year, we kind of had to choose judiciously because we had already talked about some of the games and we thought if we're ever going to do them again, we want a theme, we got to pick carefully. So I I do know that there's, yeah, there's not a lot. I didn't know it was limited to 35. Yep. That that surprised me as well. These grids are great. So a link to, to Rob's stuff in the show notes. Let's try to bring his site down, folks. <laughs> and um, it's really neat because he, he divides it up. Like, even before talking about the vector games, he's got, like, the grids of, you know, vertical raster and horizontal raster and, like, which games in the different periods. Like, it's, like, from 1975 to 1988 or 1998 in total. Like, the, he looks at these, what is it, 1,200-and-something games and how many for n- n- button combinations. Say So, okay, how many games use two buttons and... 
an eight-way joystick or four, or a paddle or two eight-way joysticks or what have you. So you can sort of look at the grid and looking at those, like looking at the grids for the vertical rasters, the horizontal rasters, like all of that changed my mind about how many buttons do you need in a main cab? Like that's, that's one of those issues always. You want to build a cabinet and like what do you really need? And looking at it, it seems to me the best compromise is three buttons. Like if you want to do classic games, three buttons gets you 99% of the games you're going to want to play. There's going to be games that require more than that, in which case you may as well just go for eight buttons or something. In fact, there were two games. Yeah, in the horizontal raster games, there were two games that had eight buttons in the classic period. And I was thinking, wow, what games had eight buttons back then? And there was also a weird thing in the... I remember the vertical grid, it was something like... In the classic period from 1977 to 1984, there were like six games that had two eight-way joysticks and six buttons. I was like, what the heck games were those? Sorry, Charlie. <laughs> Could be. I mean, sorry, Charlie needs a whole other grid on its own. It'll just be left side of cabinet, right side of cabinet, inside cabinet. Um, anyway, the, the grids were really interesting. I think if you were looking to build a main cab, it can. it's a quick way to get a sense of, in general, how if you have whatever sort of controller and whatever sort of buttons, how many games in total does that unlock? It doesn't list the games, but you can sort of say, hey, I can get 80% of the classic games if I have this, or if I add three more buttons, that would unlock this many games. Is it worth it or not? So, Because anytime you build a main cab, it's going to be a compromise. There is no such thing as a cabinet that will properly play everything. If you set it up to be the perfect setup for Tron, it's not going to be perfect for most other things because where you'd want buttons, there's now a spinner or what have you. So it's always going to be a compromise, but I think this gives a sense of what kind of compromises you'd be making. I found it really interesting. I'm really glad that Rob did this work. Absolutely, yep. Mm-hmm. So let's see, what else have we got? Oh, you know what? Other Rob, back to Rob O'Hara, he also wrote in with his his arcade picks for the arcade draft, and we have a lot of feedback to get to the arcade draft, but I immediately deleted your email, Rob, and I won't read it, because Rob was originally going to be on that episode with us, but there was a scheduling conflict, and um, so if we do that again, and I think we would do an episode like that again, I'd want Rob to be on it, so I'm refusing to look at his his picks, (laughs) so that I can be surprised (laughs) if he's on the show. Um, Anyway, other feedback. We'll get to the arcade draft stuff in a second, because we got lots, lots of feedback on that show. Douglas wrote in as well, Douglas Delecky, he's written in a few times before, he says, still loved the show and loved the draft episode. I really like Carrington's gimmick arcade, but you guys are killing me with the Dragon's Lair hate. (laughs) Well, I agree, it's not really a game, I still love it. Yep, I'm the guy who wrote in about watching it at Showbiz Pizza. I actually got it from the PlayStation Network and will sit and watch the game go through demo mode so I can see all the rooms. I even bought the cartoon series. Enough about that. Keep up the good work. And remember, Dirk the Daring didn't star in a bad game. He was just misunderstood. Nice. Still a crappy game. <laughs> oh, okay. So it was you that was bashing. I, I don't remember bashing Dragon's Lair. It's, it's, um, we, we talk about kind of the crappy quality of Laserdisc games in general just because they break down all the time because they use, you know, um, commercially available home Laserdisc players, um, which aren't aren't meant to be playing discs for ten thousand hours at a time uh, without a break, but I don't know. I kind of like I I kind of enjoyed. I think Space Ace is better. I know that's heresy, but I sort of enjoy the cartoonish quality of of this type of laserdisc game. We talked about you know there's there's the the type where like Firefox, the laserdisc provides realistic backgrounds, but the arcade action is still um, arcade graphics and and arcade action and then you've got the cartoon stuff like um was that one that we played that was based on lupin three 
Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's, there's that, and there's the Dragon's <laughs> Lair in Space Ace, and, and those are more cartoony, and, and you feel sort of like you're you're watching a movie, and they're frustrating for me because I never know when to push the button in the action, and so I... I Cliffhanger. I Sorry. Cliffhanger, that, that was, was, on the, yeah. was on the tip of my brain. It was right. Now I can release that. My brain is back <laughs> listening to you again. Some games even show you, like, you know, okay, the screen will flash or something. You're supposed to do something now. And and I can never tell when my joystick action matches up with the action on the screen and whether because I was half a second too late, I'm dead now or so that was that's a frustrating thing for me. But but like him, I used to, to watch better players at arcades. Um, I would just go and watch them play because it was so much fun to watch. So it's now, just I, you, Carrington. You just hate this game. Admit it. Admit it, sir. I do. I do admit it. I do hate oh, them. Was, and I don't think it's just me. Too easy. <laughs> because the thing is, I get that in a large, larger sense, all <laughs> video games are essentially, there's some colors on screen and we're Pavlovian saying, like, if you press <laughs> this button, like, you're not actually doing anything. I remember talking to my nephew once and I asked him, what did he do? And he went on for hours and hours and hours over the weekend, what he, all these things he had done playing these video games. And it, it was the first time it really struck me. I'm like, no, what, you sat on the couch and wiggled your thumb. <laughs> Right. <laughs> like, but it gives you the sense that you're accomplishing things. I went and found treasure or I got a high score or what have you. And all video games really are, yes, we sort of just wiggle a joystick and there's some colorful reactions on a screen that we think we're re- re- is somehow related to what we're doing. But it does seem to me that there's a fundamental difference between the Dragon's Lair type of uh, Laserdisc game and an arcade game. Like when, when I play Galaga, it really is that I'm guiding the the game and I'm 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 playing a game and I'm moving a little piece and yeah I'm moving it with a joystick and there is that level of abstraction there. But when I when you play something like Dragon's Lair, it feels like I'm watching a movie. And yes, I'm there wiggling the joystick, but it feels so disconnected from the gameplay. And it's so much just watch and then wait and press this button this at, at a certain time. It just doesn't feel like gaming to me. And I just I, I just I'm completely dismissive of all of them. I think they're great to look at, and I do enjoy watching it. And and like Douglas, I would actually just watch the the whole game. Like I'd rather just watch Dragon Slayer as a cartoon. But I don't want to play it. So what about games like, say, Firefox, which is an arcade game that has the backgrounds? Or what was there was that other really trippy Laserdisc game where it had like the psychedelic stuff going on in the background, but where basically you're still a ship shooting other ships and it's those, using... Those are games to me. And usually the Laserdisc part of it is just a not that great looking background thing and I would have preferred <laughs> something. Like it's just, I just, yeah. In general, adding Laserdiscs to games makes them makes me like like them less. And if you have only the Laserdisc part, then there's nothing for Carrington to like. And so says Carrington. <laughs> well, Daniel Miller says, like, like what I did there. <laughs> I do. You're saying, wait, you are on, baby. Oh, it's man. awesome. Uh, uh, Daniel Miller says, greetings to the team. No quarter. I found you guys listening to the broken token podcast and listen to your entire back catalog of entertaining shows. I we like apologize, your, Daniel. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're a better man than we are. <laughs> uh, I like your take on all the games you featured and look for more great shows. Uh, he has his uh, top five picks and I'll get to those in just a minute for the arcade draft. Um, he says, first, I noticed that on the Galaga episode, you guys said the score rolls over at 999,990 points. We did, and I'm standing by that. Not if you're player two. Darn. <laughs> he includes he uh, includes a picture that he took in, 19, in uh, 2007 uh, of an, a game in progress. It's at, The picture is kind of blurry, but you can still make it out. Uh, it's uh, at stage 206, 
Uh, and player two has a, a score of 2,410,480 points. That's a lot of points. Fake. Uh, he says, no, it wasn't <laughs> me who scored the, all those points. My career best was almost 400,000 on fast shoot settings. And unfortunately, I had to walk away from the run due to other obligations. You know, I joke, but this was actually news to me. And I hadn't read that that was even the case that you could go on. So I think it's fantastic. I'm really glad he wrote in. So in other words, if, if you were one of these best players and you actually want to see your score. If. What's if? <laughs> That's why I always play the, player two, baby. Right, yeah. <laughs> you just play as player two and then die immediately on player one or something. Exactly. That's exactly what I would do. And his top five picks, and these are a lot newer than 1990, are uh, to, uh, Golden T4. Uh, uh, I see 4-F-O-R-E. F-O-R-E. It's like a yes. pun. <laughs> Silver Strike Bowling, uh, SF Rush, The Rock Alcatraz Edition, Pole Position 2, Race Drive-In. Um, oh, cool, because yeah. Race Drive-In was one that Quinn chose as well, and he's right that those last two are, the he's picking the environmental cabs. Can't go wrong with environmental cab, I say. Those are his top five. Cool. Um, so Rick Keen wrote in too, uh, and what's they say, I think he was the only person who wrote in, like lots of people wrote in, I'm going to get to other people's choices for their top fives, and lots of people wrote in about that, but he gave us like some pros and cons, because we'd also said, hey, do you, do you like us doing this sort of thing? If every once in a while we do an arcade draft or some sort of special episode, do you guys like it, or are you just want us to stick with the format or what have you? So he said, hi guys, well, the pros about the arcade draft podcast from my point of view is that i don't think you guys made any mistakes <laughs> jeff salzman may have made one by declaring that starcade made only three dedicated shows two dragon slayers and one cliffhanger i believe they did a dedicated star wars show as well and i loved hearing about the games i've forgotten about a con might be that some of these forgotten games are forgotten for a reason <laughs> carrington <laughs> that might be just me um, another con is that I missed hearing reader feedback, and it's not just because I sent my first email to the show the week before. <laughs> okay, maybe a little. Sorry about that, Rick. Um, uh, some of your best banter comes from feedback, but I understand why you didn't include it since you uh, air breaking the format. Since you were breaking the format, sorry. And since we recorded it a long time ago. We recorded it like uh, like uh, two months earlier or something. So anyway, he says, love the shows, love the banter, and a big thank you for such an entertaining podcast. You two rock. Thank you, Rick. He says, Rick on the East Coast. That was very nice feedback. Um, we had a ton of people write in to give us their top fives as well. Like this, this actually the arcade draft I think generated some of the like the biggest amount of feedback we've ever got from a show. I think maybe we should just switch to that format. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Rick, we're going to all arcade drafts from now on. Um, it really, really was fun, and I really would like to do it again as well. I know both Jeff and Quinn had said at the end of that show they'd be willing to come on again. We tried to get Rob on. I'd like to get some other people too. I think it would be fun. I mean, obviously, it's the kind of thing you want to spread out and do it maybe twice a year or something in total, but I would like to do them again. And I really, really enjoyed um, the number of people that wrote in with their picks, especially the people that had like a theme. So we got a ton of people wrote in with their picks. I'm going to read some of them, but I'm only going to read the ones where people like sort of took the time to have a theme of some sort around their five picks. Jessica wrote in and her theme was guess my theme. And the, 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 she, so she picked Dig Dug, Wizard of War, Double Dragon, Pole Position and Ghosts and Goblins. And I'm embarrassed to say how long it took me to figure out what they had in common. But each of them the have thing. the alliteration. And it's like I'm staring <laughs> at them going, well, would it be controllers? We're like, yeah. So it's remarkable well, how long it took me to pick, figure that out, Jessica. In your, I'm def- in your, your semi-defense, I feel bad for defending you for anything. <laughs> but um, If I had read that as text in front of me, it probably would have taken me a while, too. The only reason I 
I got it immediately. It was because you were you were reading it out loud, and I could hear the my dulcet tones, <laughs> something like that. Yes. <laughs> um, let's see. Daniel wrote in to say that like he picked his, which were favorite games from his local arcade as a kid, and these were all in a row. So he, which I thought was fantastic. So we had talked on the episode how Quinn and us we could remember where different games are in certain arcades we used to play in. So he actually picked a row. He said, you go down the row, and here's what you could play at that time. So there was Golden Axe, Raiden, Missile Command, Rally X, and Smash TV. And he said he would often actually play all five of those to sort of go down the row. So that was great. Um, Bill, he gave us classics from 1982, the best year in arcades, he says. So he picked Pole Position, Donkey Kong, Joust, Robotron 24, or sorry, 2084, and Qbert. And it's amazing that those all came out in the same year. Like, holy cow, that's a, wow, good, yeah. year for, that's a good year for arcades. Uh, Jonathan, his theme, he says, is space games from space. <laughs> so he picked <laughs> Computer Space, which is the first coin-op game, he said, and I think he's right about that. Defender, Galaga, Major Havoc, and Star Wars. I love all of those. I would be delighted to own any or all of those cabinets. Great choices, Jonathan. Jeff wrote in and picked a sports game theme. He did track and field, he said, because it includes both track and field. <laughs> Ten-yard fight, which is football. Um, he explained to me that that's a game that you Americans play, although this was a Japanese cabinet. Roller Jammer, because it's a roller derby game. <laughs> awesome. A game called Water Match, which I've never even heard of, but he says it's got swimming, kayaking, and boat racing. And also something called Haro Gate Ball, which is a croquet game. <laughs> Wow. So that's awesome. That is going deep catalog, Jeff. Nice. Uh, Brian wrote in, and he and he picked games that talk to you, which was a fantastic theme. So he picked Star Wars, Gorf, Berserk, Gauntlet, and Qbert. And he also sends us a link to a video um, online over at Jess.com, which is 50 attempts at speech in early video games. So it's like kind of a quick video that goes through, and it just gives speech samples and shows the game that they're from. I'd say but half of them are arcade games and half of them are like home things, but it was still really neat to look at and sort of how quickly I could recognize the the which game was talking and stuff. So that was really fun, and we'll have that link in the show notes. Um, I guess two more. So Kevin, he wrote in hilariously and picked, for his first pick, Pole Position. And then he said, since it's impossible to keep these working, I'm just going to pick four more Pole Positions with the hope that one of them is playable. <laughs> so he, his theme was all Pole Position all the time. That was very funny. And um, that would have been funny on the show. Pole position. I'm going to pick Pole Position again. <laughs> and um, then Jeff... This was hilarious. He decided to do the theme of games Mike hates. Oh boy. <laughs> so he picked Elevator Action, Ghosts mm-hmm. and Goblins, Sinistar, Bubbles, and then in his surprise fifth pick, he picked another Elevator Action in a mappy cabinet just to get your hopes up and then dash them when you go to play it. <laughs> I hate you. It's, it wasn't me. This was our listeners, and that was hilarious. I love that he tries to fool you with, with you a second elevator them. action. I do encourage them. So anyway, that was great I was feedback. looking forward to playing Mappy, and it was elevator action. <laughs> Suddenly, elevator action everywhere. Um, great feedback, guys. It was really fun. I love the people that have been sending us in like their choices and what they would pick in a draft. I really look forward to doing another draft. I've got other themes I could pick, uh, maybe a little less obscure. Uh, it was a super fun episode, and I'm really glad we did it. Yeah, I had a lot, a lot of fun, even though I was not <laughs> technically. I wasn't there for the second half of the actual draft. Uh, I had some some problems with with. I don't know if it was Skype we, ki- or we kicked them off. Or, yeah, they they th- they threw me I off. I think it was a power issue. Yeah, didn't your oh, power right. keep going out or yeah, something? Something you were in the dark. Something was going on there, but uh, we ended up having to record part of mine later on, and I'm sure everybody was happy about that. But 
Uh, we'll wrap it up with Quinn Dunkey, who posted on Facebook. Uh, she says, thanks for having me on, guys. It was fun. In hindsight, a funny phrase came out of my face. The arcade I grew <laughs> up in. Considering how many hours I spent oh. there, I guess the skeezy, chain-smoking, coin-changer guy who was also rumored to be dealing grass was kind of my third parent. He smelled gross. <laughs> skeezy. That is a funny phrase, the arcade I grew up grew up in. Mm. Yeah, I use that phrase a lot, too, and I also grew up in arcades. Me, too. You grew up fast in arcades. <laughs> Speaking of growing up fast, let's play horseshoes. <laughs> I was going to say, how is that a segue <laughs> for this game? I, I had nothing, so that's what I went with. This week's game... A very strange choice is American Horseshoes by Taito. Taito, the Japanese uh, company. Yeah, 1990 game. I have never heard of this game before, so you chose this one, I think. And I'm like, okay, sure, let's play some horseshoes. <laughs> I thought the croquet game was weird. Yeah, now, I'm not normally a fan of... Video games. <laughs> well, yeah. arcade games that, that so closely emulate things that you can just go outside and do. You can go outside and do this? Horseshoes lying <laughs> you around? Can, you can go down to your local um, uh, department store and pay $10 for a horseshoe pitching kit. And well, that makes sense, actually. Stick yeah. a stake in the ground and get drunk with your friends and play this game. You don't need an arcade game to do this. But uh, Taito has gone above and beyond. I think they probably realized that playing horseshoes on an arcade game is boring. So there's a I think lot just of running out of themes. It was 1990. They're like, okay, what's left? That's what true. haven't we done? Anybody? <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> so there's a lot of um, other stuff going on in this game. There's 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 humor. There's, cheerleaders. There's cheerleaders. You can there's spectators. There's uh, you can hit with the hit with your your um, horseshoe. Uh, there's a lot Not of just stuff. Can I say will? Because <laughs> I put some effort into hitting and, those people. I guess I really enjoyed this for no other reason than that I learned a whole lot more about horseshoes than I ever wanted to know, such as things like, like, did you know, Carrington, for example, that there are three different official horseshoe bodies? No, I had no idea there There were were any official horseshoe (laughs) bodies. There was the National American Horseshoe Pitching Association, or I'm sorry, there's the National Horseshoe Pitching Association. There's the American Horseshoe Pitchers Association. And then there's mm-hmm. you guys up there in Canada having to be different, of course. There is the Canada Horseshoe Association or something like that. I, I stopped reading after the word Canada, but <laughs> you guys apparently have a- <laughs> So there's the NHPA and the AHPA. And I wonder if, they do, if they're like really angry battles and like words are exchanged <laughs> in bars about <laughs> whose right. rules you use. Fist fights. I wonder how seriously people take company this. parties and stuff like that. Yes. I don't take it seriously. Uh, either. Um, so, I mean, because this is supposedly, like, this is under the category of sports games. But I would wonder, is horseshoes really a sport? Well, I mean, yeah. I'd say is it's, croquet it's really a, a sport? Come on. It's a game. So this yeah. isn't a sports game. It's a game game. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, hmm. I, I think playing this arcade game is about as much of a sport as playing Horseshoes in real life. This oh, is what right. I say. Write, write in, members of the NHPA <laughs> and the AHPA. Tell me right angry, angry hate mail. We like that. So this is a, a game for one to four players. Mm-hmm. Uh, Not simultaneously. Shoot. You don't get to throw the horseshoes at each other, which would be awesome. That would be a lot more fun, I think. But uh, uh, you play, uh, yeah, it's alternating turns, and you can play, uh, you can choose a character. There are four char- characters, and each one does things a little bit differently. For example, if you, if one of the characters throws the horseshoe too hard and he falls on his butt, he swears and and um, if somebody hits the little kid with the horseshoe, he sits down and feels bad for himself. Oh no! Other uh, so and and this game is set up so that it, it follows official horseshoe rules by who whose rules <laughs> exactly? Yes, uh, there are two pitches per inning. Each 
player, you can select your grip and throwing angle prior to the pitch. And then the the actual throwing of the horseshoe is a, a golden tee-like action with a trackball. So you kind of have to flick the trackball and roll it forward, and that will determine the power, which which tells you how far the, the horseshoe is going to go. And that was – I had a terrible time controlling that in this game, by the way. Oh, tell um, me about it. But at least that makes – it's not the kind of game you can just sort of master in two seconds. No. So and at the end of each each three innings, the player, you can you can continue by inserting more credits. This is definitely a quarter sucker game. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can play up to nine innings per game. So this is actually not a game that you play 25 cents. If you actually, if you want the full gaming experience, you have to continue to put quarters in as you proceed through the game. And it's not a situation where, oh, you die and then you can continue. But, but if you don't die, you could have played all the way through in one quarter. In this game, you cannot play through in one quarter. And that kind of bothered me because it feels like there's nothing that tells you you're going to have to continue. You're going to have to put more quarters in until you're already into the game. Well, kind of at the beginning, though, like when it says when you put the quarter in, it'll say, like, insert more coins to play more innings. There is like a phrase hmm. kind of in the inserting part. There's that winking, busty blonde lady in a pink bikini. <laughs> I think I was distracted. Insert the coins. Yeah, it's so ridiculous. I was distracted um, by that, and, and the, the winners don't use drugs. <laughs> they screen. don't, according to <laughs> William S. Sessions, director FBI. <laughs> Deposed the- and, and disgraced. <laughs> yeah, we, we were looking, before we recorded today, we, we were speculating on whether William S. Sessions was a, a real person or just some name they made up to put on the on the splash screen. And, and indeed, he was. He was a real individual. Uh, he was the, the FBI director until uh, 1993 when he was fired by Bill Clinton for overwhelming improprieties. Uh, the, the Department of Justice uh, released a 161-page report on uh, on his ethics violations, but he doesn't use drugs. <laughs> well, we, we assume. <laughs> um, so going back to the characters, what I found funny, and I don't know if maybe just in Canada we use this phrase the way the British do, and maybe in America it wasn't this, but you can play one of four characters. There's Lucky Lou, who's a teamster. There's Diamond <laughs> Dave, who's a farmer. You can play the policewoman Mary, or sorry, Mayhem Mary. Or the final one is a butcher, and his name, and I'm not making this up, his name is Tossin Tom. Now, like, to me, I'm like, really? Really now? So that's the character I kept playing because that's <laughs> funny. <laughs> and if you play a one player game, then you don't play totally by yourself. The CPU will play like a random opponent. So it's always you against somebody else if you if you play single player. So that's how I was playing it. And there's a judge uh, that sits on a stool. He's in the Which same place. I and... didn't see the stool for the longest time because <laughs> it looks like he's just sort of squatting there like a umpire or something. And finally, he was against a pink background at some point. I'm like, oh, he's on a stool. Because sometimes it looked like he was supposed to be sitting on a bench. There's a bench in the background in some of the scenes. Because each, what's kind of neat is each inning kind of takes place in a in a different location. But he's always in the exact same spot on the screen, always in the exact same pose. And I thought first he's on this bench, and then later he's like he's just sort of squatting there. But I guess he's got a little stool he's on. And he will come up. He will uh, uh, show up and shame you if you hit somebody with the uh, the horseshoe, which happened <laughs> if, quite a bit. When. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Once I found out you could hit people. I played quite a few games where I'm like, no, <laughs> screw that. How hard can I throw this thing? It was very difficult, and I don't know if it was just because maybe I should have spent more time adjusting the trackball for this particular game, the sensitivity or something. I had a terrible time getting the 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 trackball to I, – I couldn't consistently reach the right power level, and so I never scored you know more than a handful of points throughout the entire time that I was playing this. 
Yeah, because it doesn't seem to be like when you flick the trackball forward, it's not like how many times it goes around. It seems to be just the speed. And so it's just a control thing. And I, I just don't have that control. Yeah. So it's it's if you do it too slow, you don't get enough power and it, it doesn't get anywhere close. Or I found that I would you know, push it too hard and it would just go flying and it would hit the biker in the background or, or smash a window or something like that, which I, again, I kind of found the humor in, in the game. Uh, I, I really, that really endeared me to the gameplay because if, if it hadn't had that, I would have hated this game. I would have been so frustrated and annoyed. Yeah. Cause there's not that much game to it. And it's clearly, a, I mean, it's clearly a game designed for being in a bar. It's a game you play one handed with like a beer in one hand and you're playing the game and, it's it's funny because like if you think of early arcade games, like the earliest ones, the games existed before arcades did. So it's like, well, where would you put them? You put them in bars or so. They become popular. Arcades then exist. So games are being made specifically to be going into an arcade. But now we're back into like 1990. Arcades are all dried up. And this is now a game designed to go back into a bar again. Because it's clearly a bar game, not a not an arcade game. Right. And I, I as much fun as I had playing this, it's sort of off-putting that the the only real interaction that you have with the game is so frustratingly difficult that I'm just enjoying it for the humor because I can't enjoy actually playing, like getting into playing the game because I can't figure out how to control the, the pitch. Yeah, I agree. Because the control of the first bit, like when you move your character kind of left and right to line up, is is quite simple to do. And then you select your grip. And there's like you said, there's only the three grips because the horseshoe, you can either grip it in the middle or like with it pointing to the left or pointing to the right. I never even really thought about it before. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess there are three ways to hold a horseshoe. Um, but there's no overhand throw in this, which is what I would have selected. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's, like, the throwing angle. That's easy to pick. And so all that is simple. But then you get to the, okay, now you're going to, like, the actual gameplay is let's throw the horseshoe. And I would just, like, flick the trackball and see what happens. And sometimes it didn't even seem to be at all related to how hard I would flick the, flick the trackball. I swear sometimes I was thinking, is this just like random and it just shows you stuff? Because my scores are all over the place. Now, none of them were two digits, but they were all <laughs> over the place in the one-digit range. <laughs> and so apparently in, in real horseshoes, you can score up to 50 points in a nine-inning game. 54. 50, ooh. Because if you think about it, you can get – every time you throw, you can have – a, basically four different scores. Zero, like if you miss completely or you bounce it off the biker's head or something, which is the most fun. There's an area around the stake, and I don't know what that area is called, so let's call it like the, sort of the landing zone. If you if you land anywhere in there, then you get one point. If your horseshoe lands touching the stake, like leaning up against it, then you get two points. And if you do a ringer, if it wraps around the stake, you get three points. So you could a maximum of, you got two uh, throws per inning, so you could get two ringers, which would give you six points per inning. And if you played three innings, like the way we're playing with one quarter, you could get up to 18 points per credit. But if you do the full nine-inning game, you could technically get 54 points. Unless you do a doubles game. Like, I liked how in this game, I never played it because it was just me. When you put your coins in, you can play a, a two-player doubles game. So instead of four people playing, you're, you're going to double up and two people will play sort of twice each. You get double the throws. Um, and then you could, you know, theoretically get 128 or 108 points. Ah, uh, math. Taito released American Horseshoes in July of 1990 in Carrington. I think, I think you're kind of right. They were looking for stuff to make games about at this point. This is a very late game. Uh, it did feature a Z80 at six megahertz for the main CPU. Um, if it, uh, the sound chip was a YM2203 at three megahertz, it was a, a vertical 
CRT, uh, 224 by 320 pixels and a 256 color palette. Um, up to four alternating players controlled by a trackball with two buttons. And I think the buttons are the same on either side. So it's actually kind of one button. And it's weird because if you think about it, this is 1990. My home system would have been more powerful. So we're at a point where this game is, it doesn't need much to run this thing, but it's only the one CPU and it's six megahertz. And it's an old CPU. It's the Z80. Yeah. Uh, You know, which for Taito is great because it's probably very inexpensive to produce these things. Mm -hmm. I don't know if these sold as conversion kits or standalone cabs or what have you. But like when, when you look at the cabinet um, photos I've seen, cause I've never seen this in real life. It's, you know, a simple cabinet. It's got kind of decent front art. It's got a, you know, colorful marquee and the logos in that old fashioned uh, wanted poster style font with, you know, red, white, and blue text naturally, because it's all very American. And um, <laughs> the, the bezel art shows some of the characters and it has a horseshoe leaning up against the stake, which I now know, according to one of the rules things is, worth two points <laughs> so and uh the control panel's got the you know trackball in the center and like you say one button to either side the side art is crappy though it's not even half height like it's little square of of graphics it looks like it was supposed to be on a mini cabinet or something and on clove there are three images of the cabinet and it's three different cabinet shapes so and if you search for the cabs everyone seems to have a different cabinet shape so i don't know if it was just most of these are cabinets that was were converted i couldn't find a flyer in the five minutes that I was researching because I forgot to research the flyer, <laughs> I couldn't find an official one. So I don't know what shape this cabinet is supposed to be because it seems it only came as an upright, but I've seen photos of a lot of the smaller cabs, the cabarets doesn't seem like it came as a, as a sit down one, a, a cocktail. So I don't know. I, it, it, there are lots of these have sold, but everyone I found that had sold in the last year or so were all conversions. They, they would say this was a whatever cabinet and it's been converted to this. So a lot of people will temporarily convert a cabinet over to this. If you've got a golden tea or something, it's very easy to just, I guess, throw this board in. And if you've just got a trackball and one button, you can play this game. So a lot of things get converted over, but I don't know what it would go for. Presumably not that much. And frankly, it's not a very pretty cabinet. So that's what I say about the cabinet. It's ugly. Not much to say about the cabinet. Not much to say about the game. It's, just don't do drugs. <laughs> it's I. It's a little bit, like I said, it's a little bit disappointing. I think this could have been a lot better game. If, it still if, was fun, though. I did actually well, enjoy playing. Yeah, exactly. And and the reason, at least the reason that I enjoyed it, was because of of the the humor and and the colorful gla- graphics. There's this there's this annoying music that sort of plays through the whole thing, and it's very repetitive. And I found myself kind of wishing I could turn that down a little bit. <laughs> catchy and it sticks in your head you know and then you stop playing and it's still playing in your head um the the flyer says that this is the uh, classic game of horseshoes from tournament arenas to back alleys this is the latest in major play value for the whole family uh true back in, alleys for the whole family <laughs> true in every detail to the original game taito has captured the heart and soul of horseshoes from specific play features to the humorous reactions that follow a player's wild pitch horseshoes is fun for all who play it was kind of fun. I found it weird that the ju- I think the judge in this game is supposed to be George Bush. Yeah, I, I sort of saw that resemblance too. 
Mm-hmm. Um, because it plays when he comes on to give you your score, it plays "Hail to the Chief." That's right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and then I looked at him like I think, and it's the right period, 1990. He would have been the president in 1990, so I think it's the I think it's George H. W. the first one. Mm-hmm. I think it's supposed to be him, but in glasses. As far as I know, you're you're playing this game in a back alley, and you're being judged by the president of the United well, States. Well, he wore very thick kind of glasses like that that look like that. Well, so. then there you go. So yep. you're judged by the president. The president will tell you you got one point or <laughs> two. Because he's got nothing to do now. <laughs> yes. Visually, it was more interesting, but there's nothing that was in this game that couldn't have been in an old black and white Atari game from 1977. I just think people were just scraping the bottle on the barrel for, for themes and said, well, I guess we haven't done horseshoes yet. Let's do that. Right. And I did have fun playing it, though. Yeah, me too. And and I think, like you said, character, I, I never saw this in a bar or I never saw this in an arcade um, this is probably more popular in bar settings or something to play while you're doing your laundry or something like at, at a laundromat. But if you're doing your laundry at a bar, <laughs> well, there's that too, I suppose. Uh, at any rate, I think that's, I don't know. There's not much more to say about it. I mean, it's not bad. It's not, not great. It's just sort for of me, a, the way I would sum it up though, while I enjoy playing the game, it's basically a flick game that I think would be just just as good, if not more suitable for playing on like an iPhone or an iPad or something like that. Because it really is just flick and see what you get or shoe. And I wish it would be a little faster, be like, give me a score, let's move on. Sometimes it'd be like, okay, come on, let's go. And I get that you're, if you're paying for the game and you're kind of drunk and you're in a bar, they kind of kind of drag it out. <laughs> just one, so that you can follow the game and two, that you feel like you're getting your money's worth. But I'd say it's not an arcade game. It's a bar game and I don't think it's a sport. So it's a game game. It's a bar game game. And I think I'd rather play it on an iPhone. <laughs> So that's my summary. I enjoyed playing it, but I wouldn't own it, and I'm kind of done with it. Yeah, there's not a lot of uh, development history that I can find out about this, probably because it was unremarkable. Um, I don't see any remakes or ports or anything like that. Again, I don't see why it would be something that there there would be a lot of call for. Uh, That's why you're going to make a port (laughs) for the Apple II. Probably uh, a more call more. Um, it might be interesting, like you said, to, to play on on a touchscreen phone or something like that, or an iPad, or or with an actual horseshoe, right? Or yeah, throw the throw a horseshoe at your iPad. You can do right. that. Um, so maybe next week's game will be more interesting. Well, we haven't talked scores yet. Well, I, I didn't keep track of my score because what? it's no. Then I, your score is zero officially, and I'm going to streak ahead with my massive score you. of seven. <laughs> my, my high score this week was seven. Best game I ever did. First throw on this game, I got a ringer. I was like, oh, three points. <laughs> now you see things were downhill from there because my just total score was seven. Because I only played, because we got to play with one quarter, so I only got to play three innings the whole freaking week. I remember that I got a four, so I will claim that as, as my high score. I, I, I know I never got seven. Uh, I think they should have... I got three more points than you, baby. Oh, yeah, pulling ahead. I I think that they should have awarded points for for hitting people with with the... the Absolutely. I was good at that. Because I was really, really good at that, so... (laughs) I put much more effort into that. So, yes, our whopping big scores this week will be four and seven. Awesome. I wonder if people down at the Underground Retrocade can beat our scores. (laughs) I don't think they're going to have a hard time doing that. Uh, So what about next week? What are we going to play next week? We're going to play this game... And uh, so, so welcome back to to regular game talk. Welcome back to us, and uh, we'll see you next week, everybody. Sounds great. Bye. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. 
feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast and on Twitter we are at No Quarter Show. You can also find us on both the Throwback Network and the Real Retro Junkies Network. All of these links plus the show notes are available at monsterfeet.com and like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain. <laughs>